Welcome to the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast that's raising the bar on craft cocktails. I'm your host, Louise Sullison. With me, as always, is my very, very talented friend who has fiercely followed her passions, the mixtress DC, Gina. Hey, Gina. Hello, Louise. How are you? Hi, lovely. I'm good. How about you? Good. I'm uh, visiting, uh, I feel like a haunted bar at this point because we've been closed for so long. I know. So where are you? Today. Tell everyone where you are. I'm sorry. I'm at our closed, unfortunate, beautiful dive bar in the heart of the Union Market District in Washington, D.C. Last call. And when we reopen, I can't wait to cheers with everybody. Absolutely. We, um, for those of our loyal listeners know that's where we uh, would uh, set up shop to record the podcast. So uh, I miss getting a little tipsy on all those bar stools. <laughs> right. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Okay, so speaking of people who in the, who work in the food and beverage industry, many an uh, actor has taken a job as a bartender, a waiter, or a whatnot in the food and beverage industry, right? All waiting for their stardom, get their you know lights, name in the lights. But did you know there's some crazy odd jobs people have taken? Did you know that Whoopi Goldberg started out as a beautician? But the really crazy thing is that eventually she became a mortuary beautician. Kind of no, set her up for ghost. Awesome. You know, I don't know. <laughs> and then staying in that, in that vein, Rod Stewart. Rod Stewart started off as a grave digger in London. Yeah. Maybe that's why he's not that. all the time. I don't know. I don't know. So, and now go on to my a heartthrob of my own, or man after my own heart would be John Hamm, of course, because he was Don Draper on Mad Men. But before that, he had a few creative jobs as well. Of course, he was a high school teacher. Who cares about that? But here's the funny part. He was a set dresser on a porn film. Yes. Now we're talking. <laughs> What does that even mean? Is the lube close enough to the bed? I mean, what does that mean? I it's love continuity. It. It's very important that your lube is where it was in the last shot. It's very t difficult job, actually. But, you know, <laughs> that was a lot of meat flapping around with John Hamm. <laughs> I think I love. I think I feel like I love him more now, just because. <laughs> uh, talk about fearless. Um, so this leads me to Ch uh, uh, Channing Tatum. Tatum, easy for me to say. And there's a little bit of foreshadowing for him. Um, after um, dropping out of University of South Florida, he went off to do what? Yes, he was a stripper. So he played a stripper yeah. and he was a stripper. That doesn't make, that wasn't a hard leap. He was a damn he, good looking stripper, but move on. Yeah. Oh yeah. Those abs. Good Lord. Um, and for a white boy, he had some moves. Um, so Lee, going on to staying in the strip vein, let's go to Mr. Brad Pitt, my fellow Missourian. Um, he was not a stripper, but I don't even know what this really means, but he drove strippers around in limousines. Like he was their driver. I don't know where we do that him to. That's what it sounded like to me. <laughs> Taking him to their special date. If you're an escort, escort, you're a pimp. <laughs> it's not that hard to Pit figure Daddy out. Pit. <laughs> yeah, Big Daddy Pit. That'd be even fucking funnier. So he went around, he went from driving hens around to actually being one himself. He dressed as a chicken as a, for El Pollo Loco's TV commercials when he first got to L.A. Oh, my God, that's so funny. Funny, huh? Yeah. And now yeah. he's like Mr. Brad Pitt, for God's sakes. So there's hope yet. <laughs> 
So speaking to all those people who have followed their dreams and followed their passions and let life unfold in front of them and kind of lead them, which is amazing, into, into great stardom, into amazing places, let's introduce today's designated drinker, shall we? Hmm, shall we? Yes, of course. He I'm is just staring at him, so let's yeah. do it. <laughs> You're like, who is that over there in that little box? Um, so for our listeners, that's our Zoom we're referring to, because <laughs> otherwise it's kind of odd. So Different please show. Let me, let's, let's get this show back on, on the rails. It's already gone. Let's introduce today's designated drinker. He's the actor, speaker, and story maker, Gregor Collins. Welcome to the show, Gregor. Speaking of strippers, I'm here, ladies. No. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It's great. Gene, it's time for you to make it rain like you normally do. I mean, in, during COVID times, we can't use dollars. So I'll have to just throw card numbers at you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. PayPal. PayPal. Where do you put your numbers. card? <laughs> so, uh, Gregor, tell us how your life journey, how did you get, I mean, you've got this really cool story, you and I've got to speak a little bit, and I'd love for our listeners to find out, like, how you have uh, really let the universe kind of build this amazing career, and where it's taken you into some very unexpected and unusual spaces. Yeah, I, I think I think from a very early age, um, I, I my biggest fear, I, I just never wanted to really blend in with anybody. I, I always felt... I always felt a, a little bit on the outside. Like I could, I, I had a lot of different friends and I could like be friends with a lot of people and sort of be the guy that's in multiple circles. But I always, I always felt a little on the outside. Like I wanted to just observe things and it took me a while to grow up and, and I don't know. I mean, who, I'm who still really working knows? on that part. Yeah. Well, who really knows what their identity is in their entire life? But like, it took me a while. I was a late bloomer. Cause I, I just, um, I don't know. And my, you know, my parent, my dad kind of, we, we moved around a lot. And so I think it was natural for me to be in the creative world. Um, because, um, I wasn't, um, I, I didn't really have any strong male role models. So I just kind of like crafted my own life. And I, I thought I just kind of like built my own homegrown way of living and looking at the world. That's awesome. But so you started off um, in college in Florida, right? Speaking of, just like uh, Mr. Tatum, huh? Were you stripping down there too? <laughs> oh, did he? He went to, where did he go? Florida State? or, or He went to, uh, let's see, my notes say University of South, South Florida. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I went to Florida State. Um, and I, I so I went to three different colleges and I, I played golf in high school. And so that was my big thing. And I was like most comfortable on the golf course. Um, everything outside of the golf course, I was a little uh, confused by, but like, um, I, so I played golf in college for the first two years in Ohio. And then I transferred to Florida state and then sort of hung up the golf clubs and then got into, to media and, and TV and all that. So did you originally go to school for acting or did you go for production? That's kind of, that's kind of our world. Yeah, I, I wasn't, I never started off. I, I was never an actor. Um, I, I majored in media production at Florida state. So I, I just, um, I had a teacher my senior year of high uh, college where um, he taught a media production course and he knew, so when I graduated, I knew I just, I wanted to be in the entertainment world, but I didn't know what or where. So he knew a couple of guys who were, who created the show called Blind Date. I don't know if you remember that show. I do, with the, I do. With the, with the thought bubbles. Excuse um, me. I yeah. love that show. And, <laughs> and I, I knew a whole bunch of people from Long Island that were on that show. 
Really? So, yeah, I think everybody either knows somebody who's on that show or, or knows somebody who knows somebody. Um, but, but, they, but this teacher happened to know these guys that created this show called Blind Date. This is around 2000. And, and he's like, I, you know, I'll, I'll put in a good word for you. It, you know? And so he contacted them. Um, basically, like, I had to interview with them in person. So, so I, I just had one interview in L.A., not knowing anybody else but the person with whom I'm interviewing for the show called Blind Date. And that's all. And, and I had a thousand dollars to my name, and I had a geostorm. Um, and so which is I, lucky, it didn't tip over. <laughs> I'm lucky. Yeah, no, <laughs> I didn't realize. I didn't even know. Good thing I didn't know because I would have been paranoid driving the thing around. But um, I drove that across country, and I met with the person with Blind Date, and I got the job. And so my family, pretty much my adult family, all starts with the show Blind Date. Um, and I started as a tape librarian and became a producer. And then I, you know, was a freelance reality TV producer for the next four or five years. So wait, what, I'm assuming a tape librarian, what is a tape librarian? So I cannot assume. Well, it's basically, you know, that was back when we had VHS tapes. When we still had film. (laughs) We still, yeah, yeah. So I was in charge of, you know, we had so many dates. We had like hundreds of dates that we needed to keep filed. Um, Ironically, actually my first job when I was 16 was at a library and I got fired for putting the books back wrong. I was just, I just put them back anywhere. I, I, I had no respect for anything. And so ironically, now I'm 16. a tape librarian. <laughs> yeah, I know. But now I'm a tape librarian and uh, I got promoted. So I, I turned it around. But uh, yeah, so it, it was, it was fun. And then the, the guys that created Blind Date also created other shows. Like there was a show called Fifth Wheel. There was a show called Chains of Love, where this guy over the weekend would be chained to four women for one weekend and they had to be chained all weekend and get along and what channel was that on that i i don't know you can look at it may it may still be airing somewhere but that was i mean i was gonna say it was probably the same channel that john ham's porn star (laughs) (laughs) exactly yeah exactly and in fact we did have there were some there were some i remember there was actually this was fifth wheel there was an actual porn star that we didn't know was a porn star and there were two porn stars in an episode and they started full on porn. going porno Sorry. on the camera. So that's on the, the too hot for TV version of that. But that's uh, maybe John Hamm was I love those videos. Like when you used to buy the videos um, and they would send it to your, like send it to you like the TV, because you couldn't put it on TV for the cuts. Like yeah. I was a kid when all this stuff was happening. So like we would get this, like, you know, one of your friends, parents obviously didn't know that they used a credit card to do whatever. So like you would go to that friend's house and like watch everything. And then I would go to like church on Sunday with all my Catholic guilt and be like, I don't know what I did and whatever. You know? I, mean, I knew exactly what I was doing, but I definitely yeah. fell into that Catholic guilt because my mother always felt like she like had like a second set of eyes on the back of my head and always knew everything. I can't even tell you my day. I got to tell I'm going to tell all my friends. I'm going to be like, no way. Oh, yeah. That show. Uh, that's yeah, and I'm, I I met actually one of the contestants. I remember I was in the tape library, and that was my first girlfriend in L.A. She was a contest. She she got on the show, and then she was like dipped her head in the tape library and was like, oh, so this is where you know all the magic happens or whatever. And we got into a conversation, and she ended up being my girlfriend for the next eight months. So. Oh, love in the library. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Perfect name for, for it. But you were, what other reality shows? There was a... Um... Um, then I went, Ripley's Believe It or Not um, oh. was fun. Um, that sounds I, like loads of fun. Oh, it's loads of fun. I remember I found this six foot six, uh, no, this 12-year-old who was six foot eight in, 
I don't remember which state. And I thought, and he was nicknamed baby Shaq. And I actually contacted Shaq's people and we actually got Shaq to fly out to LA and, and we had him shooting. We had the kid shooting hoops at a, just a random private basketball hoop. And we had Shaq sneak up behind him. And remember, this guy's 12 years old at six foot eight, sneak up behind him. And he goes, Hey, can I play? And the, and the kid turns around and he sees Shaq there. It, it was, it was great. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's it was cool. fun. Fun show. And then I, and then I did, uh, I did random things. Like I did a, a girls gone wild tour, which was really random. It's definitely <laughs> not something I studied for. I wish everybody could see Gina's face right now. <laughs> that was also the other video tapes my friend used to buy and we used oh to watch my gosh. Well, if you don't know what Girls Gone Wild is, then you're not missing it. it, 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 it it's, it, I had a friend that, um, that was like, hey. girls on that show in Mexico when we were in college. Like, oh my gosh. Girls Gone Wild 9 or something ridiculous, Cancun. The, yeah. The, yeah. I, I went to University of Maryland, so we were like, okay probably a huge amount of girls that actually went down to spring break and were, were filmed. Oh Terrible. my gosh. Well, I, yeah, it, it might've been the tour tour I was on, but we Wait, had, do you mean I have to tr dig them up and see if I can see your boobies? Gina? Mine? No way. I didn't do anything wrong ever. <laughs> my mother to this day is always in the back of my mind. So before <laughs> I do anything, I'm like, Oh, she's gonna know. Oh, I know, I know. I didn't tell my mom. I th I told her I was uh, working on a travel channel show or something. I did definitely didn't tell her. Well, the chances of her seeing you were pretty slim. I would hope. I <laughs> or, would hope. Or is is there a story there? <laughs> no, no, no. No, thank God. But um, but that was a really. I was actually a really impactful trip because on one hand it was like a guy's dream. Oh, he gets to see, you know, boobies every night and and. Uh, carry around a clipboard and wear a girls gone wild t-shirt. But on the other hand, it, I was the only legitimate producer there and I had to keep control of what it was a group of kids who just wanted to like, like get laid and then maybe film a few things and get laid and drink and they didn't want to work. And, and Joe Francis, the, the head of girls gone wild. I was just going to ask you what his name was. Cause I was Joe like, Francis. Yeah. yeah. Who unfortunately I had to deal with a lot. Um, <laughs> and who somehow gave me the keys to the kingdom. I, I you know, but I had to, he had to, he would yell at me every night and threaten to fire me and say, where's the footage? Where? So I had to like get these guys that didn't want to work and just wanted to drink and shoot footage and, and get him the footage and FedEx him the footage every day. I mean, it, it was really stressful. There was a season where you guys definitely were in New Orleans for Mardi Gras. Were you there? Well, what, yeah, I was there, but, was but like, what yeah, year? 2000 and Tell me what, okay. Yes, I was there in 2000. Four, I think. So I was okay. in New Orleans, yeah. So my good friend um, was a couple, and they were definitely on the show, and they were on the stage. And I now have to find the footage because <laughs> they were dressed up in the craziest sexual outfits ever with dildos and fake boobs and everything. And we were at the place with the um, mechanical bull, and it was filmed. Yeah. And it was on the video. Come on. We were there. You're talking, about yeah, you're talking about Girls Gone Wild, not Blind Date, right? Girls Gone yeah. Wild. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I, I was there. I remember the bowl. And I, but, and I, I was also, and there were times where I was in the Playboy suite of a hotel with Paris Hilton and Joe and having, and, and, and like, uh, I was like, how, how, how did I end up here? I'm sitting on a couch with Paris Hilton and Joe Francis. And like, what, what, what the hell has become of my life? So, yeah. 
And, um, and my friends were the animals on your videotape, which now I am going to call them when I get off the phone. <laughs> oh, you have to. Yeah, who knows? I might, yeah, I might. Meanwhile, they're married, kids, everything. Wow. And like, those pictures will sell us all down the river, but what are you going to do? Wow. I'm not on that video. They are. <laughs> we were all there. There was like 15 of us. That's Small so funny. World. I'm going to, I'm literally, I, I will pull it up and send it to everybody. Please. That's hilarious. Please that hilarious. is so funny. I think, I wonder if you ever remember when you see it, are you going to be like, uh, you, you can't forget it. It was one of those things. I don't know. And who knows that you may see me in the, in the background running around trying to get camera guys around. to shoot. This is so funny. <laughs> that clipboard I that. was, I was so powerful with that clipboard. And I had, I had three, I had free girls gone wild t-shirts and a clipboard and everybody, I, I, it was like, I was walking around, like I was uh, a rock star. It was crazy. That's awesome. That's funny. So speaking of doing crazy things to when you first got to LA, you had to take a kind of an odd job, right? That led to something amazing. Yeah. So I, I, so I, I lived like three lives in LA. So I got to LA, did, you know, uh, got on blind date, worked for reality TV. Then I decided to quit reality and become an actor. Um, and I remember I was in an acting class and the teacher, after I did a two minute scene, it was a David Mamet play. And the, and the teacher said, Gregor, I just want to know how long have you been acting? And I, I said, oh, about two minutes. I, I really, <laughs> this is new to me. I, I don't even, you know, I was really just not confident in anything. And the, the teacher said, you know, I, I would have thought you'd been acting for years. And I think you got a lot of um, talent and stuff. So, so that really encouraged me. So I, I ended up um, pursuing acting. And this was around the time when crowdfunding was starting. Facebook was starting. So we really took advantage of gaining audiences through social media. And, and we were one of the first films ever funded by Kickstarter. And so that was the sort of the DIY indie film movement. And then, um, and then in 2008, my friend called me in early 2008 and said, Hey, Gregor, I answered an ad on Craigslist for a caregiver position, and I'm, I'm now a caregiver for a Holocaust survivor. Um, and so he would tell me about her over weeks, and I would sort of just, um, just you know, uh, hear about all this. And then finally he says, we need another caregiver. I know you're not a caregiver. You're not certified, but, but you're the only friend I trust. So um, I, I want you to come meet this woman and see if you like her and want to work with her. Um, and so I finally did. And that, that one meeting in that kitchen in that Beverly Hills kitchen with this 92 year old Holocaust survivor set my life on a totally accidental course. So, but how long did you live with her then or take care of her? Did you, uh, did you live years. in the house then? I'm assuming, I'm sorry. Didn't live no, with her. I lived, I actually lived in Hollywood and I would commute every day. Tom, the friend who got me the job, he would spend, he would live there. Um, and take care of the nights, and then I would come in the morning in the day. Um, so, uh, yeah. So you ended up taking that one step further, though, right? Meaning uh, you, this, like, propelled your career. This, this was a life-changing moment. Yeah? This I guess this propelled a career, but it really propelled, I think it just propelled me, just propelled me as a human into blossoming into who I really was. And I think Maria brought... All these, I, I ended up writing a book about it. And all these years, I've been writing about Maria and talking about Maria after her death. Every time I talk about Maria, I, I feel like my real self. And I, I felt like when I was caregiving for her um, in such a cold-hearted world as the entertainment world in L.A., I would come into her house and it would just be like this uh, relic from the past. And, and, and my life was, those three years with Maria was probably the greatest three years of my life. So 
um, yeah, I ended up, she died three years later and I wrote a book about it and we always talked about going to Vienna together, but she was too, you know, old, she would say. And so I went to Vienna after I, she died and I finished the book in Vienna going to all these places that we wanted to go together, but, but she couldn't go with me. So it really had a huge impact on my life. I loved her probably more than anyone, uh, aside from my mother, I would say. That's amazing. And you didn't, you mailed to tell us the name of the book. Yeah. Oh, the book is called the accidental caregiver. Um, nice. But I think all caregivers are, are accidental. So it's not like that's anything special, but it was truly, truly not um, something I planned to do. You're a better human than I am. I have a plan for this. I'm assuming I'm going to outlive my husband and he's 20 years air force. So I'm like, as soon as he starts to break down, I'm wheeling him back to the VA. And I'm like, you broke him, you get him back. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I think that's the best way to do it. <laughs> I'm an asshole though. <laughs> yeah. I hope he's not listening. Oh, I tell him all the time, you know, gotta like, let ex- set expectations. Right. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know if he's going to love that so much, but I could totally see you doing it and being like, well, I'm going to go and drink tequila now with my new young friend. <laughs> we'll just Sorry, be Nate. friends. <laughs> I think it takes a lot. My mother, um, you know, I'm listening to what you're saying about the caregiving of somebody that, and like that age and like what it takes to do. My mother um, recently passed away and we, my sisters and I took care of her. And we had two people that were around the clock nurses and it is a special human that can give so much to, like of yourself to somebody that is, my mother had dementia and was sick. And um, I, I would, I'm going to definitely read your book now because I'm still trying to like search for all the answers of like what happened in the last seven years, because mm. you did go from like being your mother to, you know, you know, being your child, almost a child relationship mm. with, with, with all the kindness and like that feeling. And I find it, I always find it amazing the people that can take that much of themselves and apply it to people that are sick like that or old or need so much attention because you do become a hundred percent intertwined with their life, you know? And I, and I, I find that beautiful really. Well, she was, she was lucky to have you take care of her. Yes. It was very frustrating when it's your mother. It must've been a different yeah. relationship for you, but when it's your mother, it's very frustrating because you, you, you keep reverting back to that's my mother. Right. And she should be able to do all of this. What are you doing? And you get very frustrated. Mm-hmm. And that's why people mm-hmm. like yourself become very pivotal in that relationship to keep the boundaries of yes, this body is your mother. The mind is no longer the same. It's true. It's very, I had the advantage of coming from the outside, but some, you know, I totally understand where you're coming from. And that is the importance of having that. It's also important to have, I think, a young, a a youthful energy or, you know, someone on the outside and who's young or has youthful energy, because I found that Maria developed dementia towards the end. And um, really the only way to sort of combat that was just to keep her mind stimulated with fun, youthful things, playing Scrabble, going out to lunch and, so I felt like I was prolonging her uh, life just by being in, being there. I would say I would I wasn't there obviously, but I would imagine it's more than just prolonging. You probably fulfilled. You really fulfilled. Uh, yeah, yeah. I would imagine that that that. And, and to your point, not being your mother or your there were less expectations. You didn't. You could 
see it from uh, a little bit of a distance. Right. Now, even I, though you loved her a great deal, it, it came with less of, I, I need my mother to identify I'm her daughter, which is right. a very different space. Right. Yeah. And the kids, the kids definitely, uh, yeah. The, 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 you know, at, at Maria's funeral, I, I, already, I, I felt like I was having an impact on her life, but at her, at her funeral, her daughter Margie came up to me and she said, you know, Gregor, I just want you to know that you are my mother's last great love. So that every time I think about that, I I just broke down in tears in front. I mean, it just, uh, to know that you impacted somebody else is so much more affecting than anything on earth. Absolutely. Absolutely. So she was, a uh, inspiration behind a a movie, right? Am I wrong? Is my, my research off? Yeah. So there's a movie called woman in gold, which came out in 2015 and Helen Mirren plays Maria. Um, and so that was made by the, Weinstein company when they were together and BBC films. Um, so that was about how she, you know, she owned some, her family owned some famous Klimt paintings. Yes. Um, and so that was sort of a courtroom drama about how she got these paintings back, which took, you know, 10 years of, of legal battles. Um, and then I met her. So that ended in 2006 where she got all these paintings back, which was, which basically turned the art world upside down and she sold the gold portrait for at that time was a record of 135 million, um, which now pales in comparison to what paintings are being sold for. Um, But I met her, so that ended in 2006, and I met her in 2008, two years after she just now could be like an old woman. Like she had gone through 10 years of this fighting another country for paintings, and now she she could be her, you know, the 92-year-old lady that a normal 92-year-old would be. And then that's sort of when I entered and was able to be a part of her life. That's awesome. That's awesome. Wow. That's amazing. Honestly. Did you, this, did you get to see those paintings in a house? Uh, no, they, they weren't in her house, you know, in 2006. So there were five Klimps. Okay. And so the gold portrait, which was of her aunt Adele, um, that was sold in a private sale to Ronald Lauder, Estee Lauder's son. And he called her on her phone in her kitchen and said, Hey, you know, I want to buy your painting. So the other four Klimps went um, in auction at Christie's, auction house so she never had she had of course copies in her house but um you know the the originals in the, the gold portraits in new york at the noya gallery right now so did I mean, you I think that she had any of them in her house sorry did she have that no no she didn't have any of them in her house but she had a lot of incredible like she had scent bottles and and um um watches from like the 16th and 17th century like sort of wow. in a case on her wall and all these kinds of uh relics from that's her. amazing did you think the portrayal of her was sim? was i like was it knowing her no it it wasn't it, it wasn't really it was half accurate and i i think helen mirren if, if you're going to choose um actresses over 70 that that could play maria helen mirren would definitely be in the conversation but i think she she has this sort of genteel britishness about her and there were certain aspects of her portrayal um, that, you know, the wit, the sort of the Churchill-esque wit and the sort of the quirky sense of humor. But um, Maria was just like a basket of puppies on a sunny country porch. I mean, she was just so, <laughs> she was like a little child, you know? And so you didn't, you didn't see that childlike curiosity from Helen Mirren. But, you know, the fact that the movie was made is a blessing for everybody, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, how about we cheers to that, Gina? What do you think? Yeah, I'm ready for a cocktail. Let's do it. 
All right, we're gonna hold on. Let me make sure that you can see what I'm doing because I have a difference. Yep, we're good, right? Everyone can see? <laughs> yep. Great. So, so I was told that you really loved whiskeys and yeah. we really haven't made a lot of um, scotch drinks on the show, but we definitely make a lot of bourbon drinks. Okay. So whether you have bourbon or scotch, you can pick. Okay. And we're going to make either, um, basically we're gonna, we're gonna make either a perfect Manhattan or we're gonna make Rob Roy's. And for me, I'm going to make a Rob Roy today and I'm gonna use the black bottle blended um, scotch whiskey. And a Rob Roy is a classic cocktail. And if you watch, you know, any of these TV shows where the Manhattan or, you know, old fashioned or Rob Roy's are being portrayed in the 60s or the 50s, you'll see that, um, you know, they're around. But this is such a great cocktail for, you know, starting off a happy hour, if you will, or cocktail hour at four o'clock, or you just had a really stressful day. Or but it's when it's made correctly. What? Or one o'clock. <laughs> yeah. Um, but when made correctly, uh, the scotch actually takes on more of a perfumed value in a drink instead of it being um, such a like daunting, uh, peaty or, or smoky flavor. All right. So we're going to start with the drinks. So we're going to do two ounces of scotch or bourbon. And then this drink takes... Uh, a different a different stance because we're going to do half an ounce of white vermouth or a blanc vermouth and then we're going to do a half an ounce of uh, red vermouth and I'm using uh, the Dolan Rouge for half an ounce so when you put together the two two half half you're actually creating what they call a perfect Rob Roy or if you're doing this with your bourbon you're making a perfect um, um Manhattan. So now we have this in our glass. Now you can make the choice at this time to put a little bit of bitters in there if you want to like iron it out and put like maybe like a dash or two of like an orange bitters or Angostura. I'm going to actually keep it clean and just keep just the vermouth and the scotch in mine and finish my drink with a twist. Sorry, we're in a we're in a COVID environment, so I have to get my ice in a different in a different area. Yeah. All right, so. Put a little ice in here, my glass. And now we're gonna fill up my stirring glass about three quarters of the way. And we're gonna stir. Since my room is so cold, we're gonna do about 30 rotations. You know, it might get a little bit more, but it's, it's pretty cold to start. Um, I kept my vermouth in, I kept my vermouth inside the refrigerator always because it's a fortified wine and it doesn't really like mm. heat. I'm so happy to have an excuse to drink at one in the afternoon. <laughs> to be honest. Right? I like your stirring spoon there, Gregor. <laughs> nice improv <laughs> improvising. <laughs> yeah, more, it's actually like a silver knife. Okay. All right, you guys keep stirring for one more second because I know that you're not in 68 degrees. Nope. And I'm gonna grab one thing. Mmm, smells so good. Smells like fun. Yeah, it does. Mm. All right, and then we're going to take <laughs> lemon. Yep. And I'm going to do just like a little uh, dime. You can see I'm just cutting it really, this little dime, like coin off of the lemon. Mm. And if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see it, right? So you pull it off. Yep. And we're going to dump the ice that's in here. Good time. And we are going to take our cobbler strainer, put it into our stirring glass, and we are going to pour our drink. 
green screen. And then we're gonna take our little dime of lemon and we're gonna zest it around the top. Mm. And then one time touch the lemon to the rim of the glass and you can either discard or put it in, whatever you'd like. But that is a perfect Rob Roy. Cheers. Wow. I don't and know if mine's gonna to... be perfect, but it's... Well, the perfect implies that it is with um, sweet and dry vermouth. Yes. And we will cheers. 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 Cheers, everybody. Here's to three wonderful ladies. Aw. Yay. Oh, this is mm. really good. So yeah. you guys, who used uh, who used what? So I, my scotch has got like got a really nice heathery flavor to it. So it's almost like um, wildflowers. What did you use, Louise? I used scotch as well, and I used um, and I did I did not use bitters because I I've never had a Rob Roy, so I really wanted to try it clean and see a, a more classic approach and just follow your lead on that. So. Um, it's really, I like the savoriness of this. And, and you're right, um, which you usually are, uh, but it mm. does take that peatiness out of the scotch. It just rounds it out. Mm. And then you, and then Gregor, I, you used whiskey, correct? I actually used whiskey, I used Maker's Mark whiskey and um, a, a very, an extra dry vermouth. I didn't have a sweet vermouth, but I, I have dry vermouth oh. and then. So that's more of like a, um, they it, call that a Kentucky summer. It's a Kentucky summer Manhattan. That, that's what I made. And then I have, of you course- made a Kentucky that, summer. That's what, you know, I, I knew I was making that. That's why I didn't have <laughs> sweet vermouth. And then I had to, and then I had the lemon juice and everything. It tastes very good. I'm very into it. I love it. You made like an extra uh, version of a, a, yeah, with a little bit of citrus pop. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> That is so great. Now I'm gonna now I'm gonna have like another step of this, and then, and then a drink unplanned, uh, just like your. I life. wish I was in a bar right now. I'm jealous of Gina. Oh, I know, I know. Soon, soon, I'm gonna have a little. Um, I think I'm gonna do like a little soiree just to welcome everybody back. You nice. know, when we're allowed to bring people fifty percent in, just people I know, just because we are out of everything. So I want people to walk up and be like, "Can I get a?" Because we're probably not gonna have it. But the people who love you nonetheless, just, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm totally there. Name the date. I need to get out. I just moved here and then the pandemic happened. So I, I need to get out and explore. Yeah, we oh, were, we were talking about this. He's like, it's not a good time to get out. And I'm, you know, moved to a place because I can't get, and I'm like, it doesn't matter if you've just moved here or not. You can't go out anyway. <laughs> right. I know. I know. But it's just, it just adds. It's just like moving to a new city is hard enough, but. It is. Um, it is. So what, uh, from LA, you went cross country, right? Yeah, I did the same thing. So out of high school, I drove across country to LA. I'm sorry, out of college. And then I drove back. So I've driven across country twice, which I highly recommend. Has anybody In ever, the same here, ever driven? <laughs> no, no. In this time, it was a Toyota Scion. Um, yeah. Has go. anybody ever driven across country? 100%. I, I don't want to do that. No, tell me it wasn't one of the greatest like week of your life. We, so we did it in over a month. So we Mm. did it like, I think it took us, we did six weeks, maybe five, six weeks is when we moved back to the mainland from Hawaii. We started in uh, San Diego, you know, did like week on the coast. Mm. And then we did um, Santa Fe, which was, we stayed in a stunning place in Santa Fe. And we had our two dogs with us too, which was really great. Oh, that's great. 
And then we stayed at the Grand Canyon. But the funny thing is, is that because they had the two dogs, you have to plan where you're going to stay. Well, we went from this amazing place in Santa Fe to when we got to the Grand Canyon. You don't really have very many options that are dog friendly. And we actually stayed at the 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 hotel or the motel you always see in the movies with the uh, tomahawk that's neon (laughs) (laughs) and like old chevy chase movies or something exactly that was the only place we could stay with the dogs it was hilarious it was Mm. terrible but you know it was just the where we stayed wasn't the nicest there but other than that it was such a great time it was such a great time i took my longest road trip ever last summer with just louise Mm. where'd you go where'd you go (gasps) i love louise but i hate We only traveled from Nashville to Bay St. Louis, which took us and like 15 hours. And then, and then like an hour the next day to New Orleans, an hour. Or so. Wow. We just had a, we had a mm. little, we got a little. I mean, problem. I feel like if I was in like an Airstream, dressed uh, in appropriate 1960s attire, and we were dressed, and we're putting out flamingos in a, in a park, and there was like cocktails at four, I would have been so much better off. But this was like for real. Like we stopped, we went to a rest stop. It was too much. Yeah. And I'm not hoity-toity. Like, I'm in a bar like this. I just don't love it. So the whole thing is she's like, let's find some tourist places to stop. And I'm like, no, let's get to the other side. (laughs) Yeah, no, the exact opposite. Let's get the hell there. Yeah. And she's Uh, like, isn't isn't that that other city really close? And I'm like, it's like four hours the other direction. (laughs) I would have been like you. I would have been like, let's keep going. Yeah. I'm, I'm from New York. I think everything's 20 minutes from you. I, I don't know. Well, we right. gotta th- well, maybe we'll talk outside of the show about New York. Cause I would just, I, so I drove actually this time first, I drove the bottom portion through Santa, Santa Fe and all that. And then um, going to New York, I drove the top portion. So I went through like Montana and stopped at the. Oh, big uh, sky country. Yellowstone national park. Cause I did what you, I think started doing. I drove up the coast to like, I have a friends in Washington state. So I drove up the coast San Luis Obispo along the PCH up to Oregon beaches. And then I took a right turn and went to yeah. New York from Washington. So. Made a right turn. Made a yeah, right made turn. A right turn. <laughs> made a right, that's it. And then the rest of the way didn't even turn. Yeah. Um, Did you go through North Dakota or South Dakota? I went through, oh, uh, was it North? I, I don't know, you tell me. <laughs> well, no, well, which, which one, uh, Mount Rushmore, is that South or North? South, that's South Dakota. Okay, so I obviously, so I went through South. Mount Rushmore. Yeah. There's a little bit more to see in South Dakota than North Dakota. Not by much. Mm. That was our first duty station was North Dakota. Mm. Yeah, that was special. That was really special. Louise. Yes. I get to ask my question now. If you like. Is it time or are we like in a wrap? You go ahead and you do it. No, actually, we got to do some housekeeping first. Little Miss Bossy Pants. So tell me where we're going to get this recipe. So we're going to go to designateddrinker.show. Wait, where? Designated Show for all of the how-to tri- tips, tricks, and Louise's personal phone number. <laughs> <laughs> now is the time for your, for your question. Okay, now. so I get one question at the end of every episode, and here it is. So for me, so in this world, everyone identifies themselves with some sort of like spirited animal, and you might identify yourself with a hummingbird, you know, constantly wings flapping in the air, but you could see yourself completely, you know, still in the environment, but you're still moving a mile a minute. If you can identify yourself by a spirited ingredient, what would it be and why? 
a spirit ingredient, you mean ingredient of, of any, uh, whether it be- uh, spirited. So it could be anything you use in food or a cocktail. Any so it could be like food or cocktail. Yeah, your favorite ingredient. Hmm, that's a good question. Um, are you asking everybody or just me? Just you. Oh, it's special for you that. on this episode. <laughs> um, uh, that's a great question. Oh my gosh. I hope we can edit this. Um, <laughs> we can. Wait, an ingredient. It's so funny you mentioned hummingbird, by the way, because I do consider myself a hummingbird. And there was that talk where what? that, well, no, the author said you're either a hummingbird or a jackhammer. You either jackhammer away at one thing in your life or you're a hummingbird and you like to pollinate all the flowers. And I feel like I'm like a jackhamming hummingbird, but you know, um, but out of context, I love that's, that's everything really... about that. And I just, uh, and like, honestly, as you talk, I just, these things come to my head. So it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I want to know your ingredients. Yeah. So ingredients. So what could be like a, the hummingbird equivalent? No, you. Food? What ingredient can you you like anything? Yeah. So like, it could be a. It could a, be sriracha. Anything. Well, spirit. It's not. It's not anything uh, crazy or creative. But like, I put olive oil in everything. I I could drink olive oil uh, for breakfast every morning. Like I eat so much olive oil and and like avocados and and. Um, so I, I would say, I would say olive oil, like, versatility. Yeah, it's versatile. I put like, there's literally nothing, even a dessert. I would put olive oil on a, on a plate and a bowl of ice cream. Like there's nothing Delish. it wouldn't go good, go well on. And I use it in place of butter all the time. Um, I probably go through a bottle of olive oil, like once a month, like a big bottle, you know? He's one so, slippery little fellow. You're going to live forever. <laughs> I have good skin, good skin, and I have good, uh, good, you know, something. <laughs> we're well, assuming you have good when hair. When I meet you in person, I will judge the skin. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Cheers to living life Cheers, as everybody. it unfolds. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for coming. Thank you, ladies. This has been great. The Designated Drinker Show is produced by Missing Link, a podcast media company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Missing Link is a proud partner of Hearing Charities of America, a nonprofit organization that supports those who are deaf or hard of hearing. To learn more about HCOA or to find out about Missing Link's other podcasts, head over to missinglink.company. That's missinglink.company. 